I just found it quite funny that, you know, like the men's camp and none of the men actually know when it is. But we're just like, we're going. When is it? I don't know, but we're going. So it um, seems like typical of a men's camp. The women's camp, they'd be like organized ahead of time. I'm pretty sure half the men haven't paid already. It'll be like all last minute stuff. So yeah, I encourage everyone to be on the men's camp and to pay ahead of time, including myself. Wife, please remind me. So um, just so you know who I am, my name is Justin. As uh, Dan said, um, some of the newer people or visitors may not know. Um, but yeah, my name is Justin. I've got a family. My wife, Joni Lynn, sitting there. I've got three children. Nathan, who is uh, sitting at the back, who didn't get my, um, my mic working, uh, doing the sound. We'll talk later, buddy. Um, I've got a daughter who is uh, 16, and uh, her name's Samantha. And then um, Levi, who is seven, who'll be running around upstairs somewhere. Really proud of my family. They're a church family. We love the church, love the people, um, always involved, always serving. And you're my, very proud of my kids as well. Just You'll see them involved um, in just many things in, in the church. So that's important, you might, because of what I'm going to share later, that you know who I am, you know who my family is. Um, and yeah, so we, my wife and I are part of the pastoral elders, and we also together lead the young adults ministry, and we're involved in worship and all of that kind of stuff. So just so you know who I am, and not some stranger that is um, standing up here and doing my best um, to preach. So yeah, so we are carrying on in the book of Timothy, um, Blueprints for the House of God. And before we start, I just wanted to share a story. So probably about, um, we're looking about 30 years ago now. Can you believe I can remember that far back? Um, I was in grade seven-ish, grade seven, standard five for those Gen Xs. Um, I know it's impossible to leave. That was 30 years ago because I look so young, but it's true. Um, so yeah, and I was, I did pretty well at school, right? So I did well academically. I was involved in a lot of sports, played first team for most of most things. It was a smallish town, so um, yeah. And I was, I was reasonably popular at, uh, at school. It all went downhill after that, but those are my glory days. And um, so reasonably popular, and I ended up being a prefect, so I was a, a, a leader at the school. And I remember around about grade five that year, they joined a new, a new boy, joined our class. His name was, if I recall correctly, his name was Stephen. Stephen was a bit different. Um, he wasn't that great academically. Um, he wasn't good at sports he wasn't very good socially, and um, he came in new, so he really struggled to, to fit in. And unfortunately, as kids can be, we weren't very nice to him. So I would say that he was kind of teased and, and picked on a bit, and um, yeah, he just didn't have a great time. And I recall the one day we were, um, a few of us after school, or maybe it was a weekend, I can't remember, we were hitting the streets on our bicycles and riding around. And our kind of ringleader at the time thought it would be a good idea that we take this to a next level in this whole teasing slash, I would almost call verbal bullying kind of scenario. I don't know what was, why, what he woke up this morning wanting to do, but basically I think we might've spotted him walking somewhere or maybe even on his bicycle. And we decided, well, we're gonna make this even worse. And we went, Followed him, we even went to his house, and we were outside his house, and um, the guys were, I don't know, saying things, doing things, I can't remember, until eventually, I think it was his mother came out and basically 
tuned us all and chased us away. I remember while I was there in that group, I did not feel good. I felt terrible. I had like this sick feeling in my stomach, knowing that, hey, this is not right. What we're doing is wrong. And I wish I could say that I stood there and I stood up for him and I went and said, guys, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. You know, um, I wish I'd stood up as a good leader, as I, as I was a leader in the school and said, no, guys, this is wrong. We shouldn't do it. Because I knew it was wrong. I felt terrible about it, but instead, I stood back and just went with the flow because I didn't want to rock the boat and I didn't want to be unpopular and all of that. So I didn't do that. And, and as you can see, 30 years later, I still remember that moment. I still regret not having stood up for Stephen. Stephen wasn't a bad guy. He just got a bad hand. I'm sure that many of you can relate to some story of leadership, where perhaps you've experienced good leadership, people that have helped, helped you to grow, have led you and helped you to become who you are today. And I'm sure some of you have experienced bad leadership, like that example of myself that I just shared now. I just want you to take a moment, just take a moment to think about that. Can you think of somebody in your life that you would say was a good leader. Was a good leader. Okay, think of that person, all those people, and think about what is it that they did or what they said or how they behaved or what is it about them that makes you see them as a good leader. Okay, does anybody have that in their minds? I see Danny's nodding there. You shouldn't have nodded because I'm going to ask you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Danny, do you have somebody that you can think of? If you don't want to say the name, it's okay. But yeah, okay. Um, Malign in the church. Okay, so Malign in the church. Malign's not here, so you're not like, yeah. So you lost your opportunity. But um, yeah. So what is it about her that makes you think she's a good leader? I think the biggest thing is that she's like so kind-hearted to everyone that she meets. So she treats everyone the same, and it's with so much integrity and love and kindness. Okay, so you heard that. Uh, Malign in the church. Anybody else? Don't be shy now. I was going to just ask you, <laughs> what about you, Tim, seeing as you're out there? Can you think of anyone? Okay. I think someone's always had a, like a long-term impact, but my high school math teacher, yeah. Mrs. Povel, she was always very strict personally with what she would allow. She worked very hard with me to kind of get me to have a better work ethic and was always very clear in her objectives as a leader was very clear about this is what I stand for, this is what I will allow you to do, this is how I believe you should you know, work on your character. She worked really hard with me because I was a terrible student. Um, and coming from that, I can look to a lot of things from her that are part of what makes me who I am now. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. All right. Anyone else? I'm going to walk down. This is fun. Probably making the camera crew really, like, upset. Okay. Anyone else? Family? Do you have anyone? I'd say my dad. Definitely um, the way he, he ran the household and, you know, he was a very good blueprint for me or tried to be a, a better father. Awesome. Okay, let's give those a hand that uh, were voluntold. <laughs> Oops, okay. So um, you see those couple of examples um, of people. 
Um, so what is one of the things that you notice about that? Um, a lot of it was about people's character, right? Like Danny said, things like integrity. Um, Tim said, just like a leader who gives direction, and, and they talked about work ethic. Um, Vanna talked about how his dad, you know, ran the household and, and looked after them. So those are all very much, nobody said like because, you know, um, he was best math teacher in the world, or Milan is the best preacher that has ever been, or anything like that. It's all around character. So let's, talk, let's see what does the Bible say about leadership. So if you didn't get, uh, my message today is around that topic. So let's see if, um, let's see if this works. All right. Oh, great. Okay. So we're reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps and you'd like to turn there and read along with me, if not, um, we have it up on the screen. So it says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader or elder or overseer, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer, because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. So that is our scripture today as we do a study of 1 Timothy, Blueprints for the House of God. So before we unpack that a bit, let's do a bit of um, context um, for how we got to this passage. And I really do encourage all of you to, if you have not listened to or you weren't here for the previous um, last couple of weeks, I would encourage you to go and listen online. Um, to see how we got you. But firstly, let's understand um, Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, and he says himself the purpose for writing this letter. He said, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So if you read between the lines, um, he's saying that I'm writing so people know how they must conduct themselves. So we can assume that people were not conducting themselves well um, in the house of God. Otherwise, why would he have needed to write the letter? All right? So there were some issues in the church of Ephesus and how people were behaving and conducting themselves that Paul was not happy about. And he was writing this letter to give some explanation and some reason and some direction as what we should be doing. He also stressed that this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So there's a reason he wrote that too. Obviously, truth was perhaps an issue um, in the church of Ephesus at the time, and this is why Paul was emphasizing 
um, this piece. So I'll, if you read through the chapter, you'll see that is definitely clear. So chapter one, Paul is really focusing on the issue of false teachers. So false teachers that come into the church, they were spreading a gospel or uh, rules, etc., that were not according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is something that really upset Paul. For Paul, it happened in a lot of the churches that he planted. So he plants a church, he comes with a message, the message of the gospel, of the grace of Jesus, of the good news. He then puts people in place to lead it, and he leaves, and then people infiltrate and bring a different message and a different gospel. Paul's life was dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lived for it. He died for it. His whole life was focused on it. That was his life's work, the good news. So when false teachers came in and said something else contrary, he had really upset him, and it wasn't a real issue for him. In actual fact, I think it was in Galatians, I'm not sure, one of those, Galatians, Philippians, or um, same problem. People had come in the, the, um, saying that, well, okay, that's fine what Paul preached, but actually to be really saved and belong to the family of God, you need to be circumcised. So that was the whole message. Paul was so upset by this that in his message he even wrote, those guys that said that, I wish they'd go all the way and cut it all off. I mean, that's how upset he was about it, you know, these guys giving the wrong message. So false teachers for him was a major big deal. So this is why, this is what he was trying to address, part of what he's trying to address in the letter. So we see that in chapter one. In chapter two, he talks about people having fruitless and pointless arguments according to him about things that are not important, are not part of the true message of the gospel. And he says, this is pointless, rather spend time, all that time arguing and having fruitless discussions, spend that time in prayer. That was his rally cry. He was encouraging people, rather focus on the Lord, focus on prayer, focus on worship, stop getting into these silly, endless debates. He then had a piece in chapter 2 where he was addressing behavior of some of the women in the church. Um, it became clear from what he's writing that some women had been influenced by the false teachers and were causing some disruption and disunity um, in the church, and he was trying to address that. Um, a very difficult piece and controversial piece of Scripture, and I really encourage you to listen to last week's sermon that Paul preached on this. The role of women in the church is so, so good, and I'm not going to go into that. Um, Paul can do that. Okay. And then that's how we get to chapter 3, where Paul then starts talking about church leadership. All right. Now, what is the purpose of church leadership? Some of the purposes. So we talked about we know that leadership is important. But church leadership is really is there to look after the family of God. It talks about um, being an elder or overseer or a pastor or a shepherd. The whole point of church leadership is to serve the body, to look after them, to protect them. Sometimes that means protection. Sometimes that means um, correction. Um, so it's a whole thing of looking after the church and, and, and governing the church, and as well as protecting the message of the gospel. Now, what we, what we can surmise is that, with the whole false teacher story, is that the leaders had not done their job, because these false teachers had infiltrated the church and were giving a different message. It was the leader's responsibility, the elder's responsibility, to protect the church, and they weren't doing that. In fact, they think that the elders may have been influenced by these false teachers or were the false teachers themselves. So therefore, Paul was addressing what it means to be an elder. He was talking about what are the qualifications for eldership and for leadership in general. So you'll see a few different words. 
um, used in your different translations. It might say church leader, like the, new, the NLT, or it might say elder, or it might say overseer. Sometimes it says pastor. kind of all means the same thing. Really, um, sometimes it's called an elder, and it doesn't mean that you're old. It just means that they have a specific role and function in the church, and that is to oversee. So that's why that word is sometimes used differently. And then later on, you'll see the word called deacons. We don't use that word anymore because nobody knows what that means. But basically, it just means church leadership, okay, that is not, uh, has the role of an elder or overseer. So two main functions of leadership in the church. All right, so I just wanted to kind of get that out there. So let's unpack this a little bit. So first of all, Paul says this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, elder, overseer, he desires an honorable position. So the first thing Paul is doing is he is reaffirming the role of leadership in the church. He's saying it's good, it's important, it is a noble position, and if somebody desires that, that is good. So why was he saying that? Well, it could be a few reasons. First of all, there's probably many good leaders in the church who at the time, you may have thought, just all this nonsense that's going on, I'm not interested in taking up this position. It's too much, too many issues, it's too hectic. It's too much of a problem, and that maybe they were um, not stepping up to fulfill that role, and that they should be. So he was affirming that and saying, guys, we need good leaders. We need people to step into the role of leadership if they meet these qualifications. Don't hold back because it might be difficult or tough. And also, perhaps he's just reaffirming that leadership is good, even though some of these leaders that were there before had messed things up. They're not led well. It doesn't mean that leadership is bad just because people have messed it up. So he's reaffirming that leadership is important and it's good and it's good for the local church. All right, so that Paul is saying that. If we move on to the next, so um, verse 2 and verse 7 are kind of like, you know, bookmarks at the end of a list, beginning and the end. So first of all, he says, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. And then he ends the list with saying, also people outside the church must speak well of him. So one of the first things that Paul is emphasizing is that Leaders and elders, they need to be seen as good outside of the church as well. They should be having a good reputation. If their lives came under scrutiny, they should be able to pass the test. So what the church looked like to the outside world was really important, and it still is today. Leaders of a church are representing something. They should be ambassadors, good ambassadors for Christ to the world that is outside of the church as well. So he was saying that just as a starting point, the importance of how leaders and the church looks to the outside world is important. Are we representing Jesus well as a family? And that starts often with the leadership of a church. Can we see how well we are representing Jesus? You know, if there's a problem somewhere, like say you're at a restaurant and something goes wrong with your order. You've seen in the movie and somebody comes in and says, who's in charge here? Right? There's always somebody who's in charge or is, takes responsibility for what is happening in that organization. The same thing for the church. Something is happening and the outside world sees that. Is who is responsible for this family? Who is responsible for this church? And it's the leaders and their lives that should hold up to that scrutiny. Okay, then he goes to list. So he says, all right, must hold up to the scrutiny. And said, how does that happen or what does that look like? And there's kind of a list of attributes here, maybe like a duty code that um, Paul is putting there, and he's saying, listen, guys, before you appoint leaders or as you look at leaders or as you kind of hold them accountable, this is some of the qualifications that we should look at. And I would say this is like a minimum list of qualifications. This is like just the starting point. 
um, that we should, we should have. Now, also, you'll see in the Bible as you read through it, these characteristics or requirements are really for the whole body of Christ. It's not like, well, okay, if I'm not a leader, then um, must not be a heavy drink or be violent doesn't apply to me. So, you know, I'm okay. I can go do that um, because, you know, I'm not a leader in the church. No, that's not what it's saying. This really applies to all of us in some um, form. But what they're saying is that leaders should actually exemplify these characteristics more than anyone else because they need to lead by example, all right? And people follow leaders, so you've got to show how to do things. Remember somebody once said, um, if you're a leader and nobody's following you, you're just going for a long walk. Okay, so, um, yeah. So number one, um, must be faithful to his wife. Okay, so the, the sanctity of marriage um, how marriage works out. Um, Paul often talks, talks about that and writes about that. So faithfulness to his wife, that means faithfulness in all areas and in all ways. All right, must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. All right, so not somebody who can just suddenly has a temper and goes off, and um, somebody um, who is, has, a, has a temperate manner is able to exercise self-control, um, you can see the person um, uh, shows wisdom in their behavior and their actions, and they have a good reputation. So, you know, if somebody had to speak of Dan, um, and you're telling me about Dan, hopefully your interactions with him, if I had to hear it, would show that somebody is living up to these values. He has a good reputation, and I, I think you do, buddy. He's just saying. Oh, okay. Must enjoy having guests in his home, or must be hospitable. That long word. Uh, must be able to teach, all right, so eldership perspective, be able to teach the Word of God. Again, Paul emphasizing the Word, the message, and again, why is it so important? Because that was the big issue in the church, in Ephesus and in many churches, not, not teaching the Word well and false teaching. Must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. Must not love money. Must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. So that is one way of like almost a litmus test. If you can see um, those leaders and have a look at their family and see what does their family look like. Um, if you spend time in their home, what does their family life look like? We're not talking about a perfect family, but we're talking about a godly family. Um, so that's what I'm saying. You know, you know who my, fa- my wife is. You know who my children are. You should be able to spend time with my children, spend time with my family, and see am I living up to that? Is my family... Being managed well? Is my household respectful? Um, do they um, respect the church? Do they respect you? How do they behave? Um, are they serving the Lord? All those kind of things you can look at to see, okay, is this a leader I can trust because I can see how he leads his family or how she leads her family? All right. And must not be a new believer because he might become proud. So that's just a very practical thing is that we are looking for people that have a history of living out these values over a period of time so we can we can trust them so we see them go through the tough times and we still see them come out the other side living these out and so we don't want to just put a new believer in a difficult position and um, yeah they get led astray by that all right so those are um, the list okay I don't want to go there yet all right So one thing you might notice, and if you read the list of the deacons as well, it's very similar, 
The only difference, really, it says they don't have to be able to teach. That's the main difference. And the only other thing um, they mention is let the deacons be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. So again, that's just wisdom to say, examine the people, see how they're behaving. If they exhibit these characteristics, then appoint them into those positions. So I just want to say that leaders are appointed into positions, and they should be appointed based on these qualifications by wise people who look at those behaviors and say, yes, we believe you are ready. So what I'm trying to say, it doesn't mean if you're old in the church, it means you're an elder. Okay? It doesn't mean if you think you have good leadership qualities or behaviors that it means that you are in a leadership position. Uh, we, we, um, everybody is some kind of a leader and has influence, etc. But when it comes to the, the structure of the church and what Paul has said is there are people who display these characteristics and we put them in those functions and they take specific responsibility and accountability for that. Um, yeah, some people might, might not like it, but I've also heard somebody say that church is not a democracy. It's not like we vote for everybody gets a vote and that's how we decide. There are leadership in positions who take accountability for decisions, and if you put the right leaders in position, it means we can trust them to make those right decisions, and we can support, and we can encourage them, and we can come under their leadership. Amen. Say yes with me. Okay, cool. Now that you're all alive. All right. You also notice that out of the entire list of qualifications, there's only one skill that is required, and that is to teach. Everything else has to do with character. It's not about gifting. It's not about your ability to do something. So obviously gifting plays a role. Um, it just makes sense. And I think some of that is assumed, right? So if you want somebody to be like a worship leader and they can't sing, that's a bit of a problem, all right? They're not really able to fulfill that role. So there have to be some specific skills that are required. But that is not the essence of what Paul is saying. Everybody's got skills and abilities, but it really, when it comes to leadership, it is about character. Character is key and character is important. So Paul asked me to say this morning that um, we may not have the best preachers in the world or the best worship leaders, although I'm a bit biased, um, or the most skilled um, when it comes to the gifting. But that is not what we look at primarily. We are looking at character. So the reality is this morning, you could go onto YouTube and find a preach way better than what I'm doing this morning. I'm not the most gifted preacher, um, but the reality is that if you know me and you know my life and you have a relationship with me and you trust me, hopefully what I'm able to preach has some weight and has some bearing. And also you can judge that. Um, you can look at that by looking at my life and seeing, and hopefully that has more impact as well. So local church leaders are there for a reason. They're there to lead the local church. And they are the ones that should be trusted. Now, when we talk about false teachers, my goodness, um, if it was bad in that day, it's even worse today. And that's because false teachers have a huge platform of social media, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be. And they can spout anything they want. And one of the saddest things to see is, um, as I've been in leadership positions over time, is to see um, people being led astray by false teachers and they get into this stuff, and they go down a path which is really not good and healthy for them. And when we try and address that, it's like, for whatever reason, they're not listening, or they're not taking what we're saying. 
even though we are meant to be the ones looking after them. So what I want to say is that your local leaders are the ones that you turn to, that you trust, that you look to for guidance and advice, um, and that you, uh, and it's not the social media out there where we should be getting um, life lessons and guidance from. They got good theology, some of them, which we can listen to, but when it comes to pastoring, how's a pastor on a social thing going to actually help you? Because they don't know you. You don't know them. You don't know their lives. Um, it's, not, it's not personal. It's not intimate. It's not real. All right. Okay, that was my little um, soapbox there. So you'll notice that it's not about gifting. It's about character. We should be appointing people as leaders, and we should not be appointing them if they do not display um, this character. We should be holding our leaders accountable. So are they displaying these characteristics? We should also pray and encourage and honor and protect our leaders. And we can only do this if we know our leaders, if we know them, um, if we spend time with them, and um, yeah, if we're able to support them as well. So you should be able to see into my life as a leader. You should be able to see these characteristics being displayed. You should be able to see it in my family. And if you don't, if you find something that is contrary to what this list says, I mean, I give you permission to confront me because people are not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect, and I may make mistakes, and I may be going through a difficult time or, I don't know, whatever it may be, and going down a path that is not good, and I need some correction. And so it's important that if you do see something that you confront me, and then if I don't respond well, that then you go to another elder, and you bring them in, and you say, listen, I've got this concern, and it's coming from a place of love. Can you please help? And then you leave it to the eldership um, to sort me out, basically. And then trust them that they will make the right decisions and do what is necessary. I am very grateful to be part of New Creation Family Church. And one of the reasons is how our leadership is structured and how um, I believe we have put in place systems and structures and relationships that help to keep everybody accountable so it doesn't become a one-man show and so that there aren't major issues. And if there are, they can be dealt with. So I just want to do this briefly to give you an idea as to how our family is structured from a leadership structure perspective. Okay, so New Creation Family Church as a whole has many ministries, um, quite significant ministries. So you'll see there there's the church ministry, the school ministry, Oasis ministry, we have the recovery group, and we have the mission group, Synergy and Mission. Those are some major ministries in the church. Our governmental elders take accountability and responsibility for the entire ministry. So the church and everything else. So even though the school ministry has a school governing board, um, they, take, they submit themselves to the governmental elders of the church. There's an oasis board. Carl, I don't know why Synergy and Mission is blank, but I know there's people there looking after that. Um, so yeah, so those are the, that's the role of the governmental elders. And um, it's a, what we call a plurality of leadership. So it's all the elders together leading, and they take accountability for one another. So it's not a one-man show. It's the elders leading together. Okay, then if I just talk a little bit about church ministry, because that's where we are today, there's a group of pastoral elders who take accountability and responsibility for looking after the church and the church ministry and everything that happens in the church. Again, there's a group of people um, that take on that accountability. 
um, that are working on that together. And although we'll have like what we call like a lead eldership couple, which would be Paul and Malign, the reality is, is that, again, it's a, it's a team with a leader. It's not a leader with a team. So Paul doesn't have a team of people that just say yes, whatever you want. Um, he's got a, a leadership group that he trusts, and he puts his trust in, and that we work on things together, and we work on, the, on serving the church together and shepherding the church together. So what does that mean? So again, it means that if Paul and Milan are doing some stuff that aren't good, then the eldership hold, hold them accountable, and they work through that with, um, with him or with them. And it also means that even beyond that, we have a Church of the Nations leadership, and we have apostolic covering. It's just the term we give um, leaders that cover us, and they also get involved if we need them to get involved. So we have a very solid structure of how we keep each other accountable and how we make sure that our leaders are leading well. So why is that? Because when it goes wrong, it goes badly wrong, right? And it can have a major impact. We're dealing with people's lives here, their spiritual lives, their journeys with the Lord. Um, Taking on a leadership position in a church is extremely important, but quite a weighty thing as well, if you take it seriously. We are talking about people's lives here, and it's not something just to be taken lightly. And unfortunately, if you've followed anything in the church world, you may have seen over the last couple of years some real hectic scandals, which is so sad. The names I can think about kind of in my, uh, my church life from when I know, I mean, I think it first started with um, Willow Creek Church a couple of years ago. Man, a church that was seen as like the church, like the benchmark, when I mean, they're doing such great things. Their leader got involved, I don't know, got accused of some harassment stuff, was investigated, fell badly, not great. One of the worst I think we've seen is um, a person called Ravi Zacharias, considered probably to be the top apologist in our generation. An apologist is somebody who's able to debate the word of God theologically with people that don't believe in it, um, giving credible um, evidence. And so you go around the world debating at universities with like the top um, people who, who were kind of against Christianity. And he was incredible, an incredible gift, an incredible mind. Um, just did so many incredible things from that perspective. Then after he passed away, after getting like a hero's funeral, some stuff came out, which is like terrible. I don't want to talk about it. It's so bad that I don't even want to mention it to the point that I just threw away any book that I had of it. I just couldn't. I couldn't anymore. That was the impact to me. I can't watch any of his YouTube clips. I can't listen to anything he says just because it was so bad. We've got people, I'm sure you might be aware of, like Carl Lentz, who led Hillsong in New York. All the nonsense that went on there. we now got Brian Houston, who founded Hillsong and everything that's going on there. Uh, it's, just, it's just so sad. And most recently, some of you might not even know, but um, a person called Mike Pulavachi, who was really like really hit me personally. So I considered Mike Pulavachi as like a model to look up to. Um, just his ministry had a huge impact in my life as a young adult. I could see the things he was, him, him and his team were doing, just impacting the youth. And I loved him because he was one of the guys that looked like really humble and not a hype guy, not like a celebrity pastor, which is why I connected with him, you know, and I, thought, and I used to think, 
yo, while this is happening, at least we got Mike, who's doing it well. And just recently it's come out that he's under investigation for some stuff that he's done over the years. And I was just so disappointed. Funny enough, I wasn't shocked because this seems to be happening so often, but I was so disappointed. And this is the impact it can have. I was so disappointed that when I heard that, I was like, that's it. I'm just, I'm just not going to be involved in ministry anymore uh, and leadership. I just can't. I mean, if it happens to these guys, what's going to happen to me? Um, uh, it's, just, it's just not worth it. Um, it's, just, it's just too hectic. And that was my immediate response. I spoke to a very good friend of mine who leads a church because he knew Mike quite well. And I said, have you heard? And he said he felt the same thing. He was like, oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can do this, you know, if it can happen to him. What's going to happen to us? It's scary. So those examples, and if I looked at the number of people's lives that they've impacted over the years, if you add them all up together, I mean, individually, it could be hundreds of thousands. We're talking about millions, potentially, of people that they have impacted. And therefore, who knows, millions that they have now impacted negatively by what has happened. And those are just the people we know because they're celebrities, they're in the news. Who knows, the pastor down the road at some church, um, you know, what could, what could be happening, stories we don't even know about. So the importance of leadership in the church and the impact that they can have is intense, which is why we need to make sure that we have good leaders in place and they are being held accountable and that we are praying for them and that we are ensuring that they are doing their job well. Okay, you with me? Okay, so in summary, with all of that, church leadership is good and important. It's important for a healthy, functioning family of God. We want leaders in place who lead well, who lead from character, and as a family church, what we're saying is we want moms and dads, good moms and dads, who lead the church well as a family, not as a organization or as a company with a CEO and leaders. No, that's not our heart. Ours is to be a family and to live out those um, characteristics. It's not based on gifting and skill. It's based on character. And the character traits must be taken seriously. Our leaders must live up to the character qualifications. We need to be able to trust and submit to our leadership. And also we need more good leaders. So some of you out there may be sitting Meeting most of these qualifications, you are being called to step up and lead, but for some other reason you are holding back. What I'm saying is the church needs you. The kingdom of God needs you. The kingdom of God needs leaders to step up and lead, and lead well. So I have some questions for you to take away and to ponder and discuss in your life groups, even think about. So do you think that church leadership is necessary and good? I hope I've convinced you. But if I haven't, and you know, you talk about it in your life groups. Talk about it with people. I want to know, have you experienced good leadership? What did that look like? Share that with, um, with the family. Have you maybe been in- impacted by bad or abusive leadership? Would you be willing to share that with family as well? Don't have to name names or shame or anything like that. But it's important that we deal with that and we understand what good and bad looks like. 
And the question is, how well do you know, do you know your new creation family church leaders? How well do you know them? Do you feel like you can trust them? And if not, why not? And I'd really encourage you is to get to know your leaders in whatever form that may be, whether, it's, whether you're in a life group, get to know your life group leaders, whether you're in a serving team, get to know your serving team leaders, whether it's you playing tennis on a Saturday with Roscoe and he's organizing it, get to know Roscoe well as your leaders or paddle or whatever it is. Whatever group you're in or whatever team you're in, there's always some kind of a leadership or leader there. I mean, it just happens naturally. And if they are considered to be leaders in the church family, get to know them, get to understand them. How well do you know them? So um, just as we end off, and I think the worship team can get ready. Almost forgot about them. And I'm always like the guy that if I'm leading worship, please let me know ahead of time so I'm not rushing up and trying to stick my in-ears in and get ready before I have to play. So, um, yeah, so if you guys can come, where's, where's Phil? All right, I'm sure he's making, oh, there he is, okay. But there is a reality that I would like us to address this morning. And before I go there, let you know I'm going to invite people up for prayer. Now, I'm telling you ahead of time so you don't get scared or afraid or like immediately get like rebellious and say, I'm not going to do that because Justin asked me. Um, so why do we do this, right? Why do we invite people up for prayer? So we believe that in a corporate setting like this, when corporate means the congregation, that there are times where, as we're led by the Holy Spirit, that he is here and he wants to do things in people's lives. The Bible also says, you know, let the elders and the leaders lay hands on people and pray for them. So we want to be obedient to that as well. We want to give opportunities for the Lord to work in people's lives and in people's hearts, right? And we're not saying that one prayer is going to fix it all. It might, but we do believe that an encounter with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit is important and makes a huge difference. And how can I say that? I can say that from my own life and my own experiences that I've often gone for prayer and people have prayed for me and it's been a huge, huge encouragement. Sometimes it's been some kind of a healing. Sometimes this has been like a motivation of sorts just to help me on my journey. Um, I feel things have shifted significantly as well. Um, So that's how we do it. And we encourage people, we want to pray for you and just be there with you. And we ask you to come forward because it's just practical, right? Um, how do we know that you need prayer? Well, you come forward, and it'll be a bit weird if you're all trying to walk through the chairs and trying to get to people and pray for them. So just logistically, it's easier that people come up for prayer and we pray for them. So that's what we're going to do now this morning. Now, first thing is we have some leaders that serve, and we trust to pray for people. And can some of you please come to the front first? And these are people that have met those qualification criteria. We've seen it in their lives. We trust them. They have a walk with the Lord. And therefore, we release them to pray for people and encourage people. Okay, I see the left side is popular, yeah? So, um, and now there, there is something I would like to, and it's not an easy thing. So that's why I'm prepping it. I'm sure there are many of you here 
that have experienced some kind of bad, maybe even abusive type of church leadership in your past. May it have been that you left the church or left the church and came here. It might have been really bad. It might have been just an offense. But it sat with you and it's impacted you. And I just want to say, as like a leader and a father in, in the church, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that that happened to you because it shouldn't have. That's not what leaders are meant to do. That's not what fathers and mothers in the house are meant to do. It's clear that Jesus' heart, who is the ultimate head, has a heart that loves and longs and wants to protect and wants to care and wants to shepherd. And that is the role of the leaders that are meant to be in place. And if that has happened to you, I'm really, really sorry. It shouldn't have happened. I don't know why it happened. I can't make excuses. All I can say is that God loves you incredibly, and he wants you to be healed, and he wants you to be in a place where you can thrive, where you can come under good leadership, and that you can grow. So this morning, I'd love to be able to pray for people that may have experienced some hurt from church leadership. And don't be afraid. If it happens, yeah, that's also fine. You know, we've got to like call it like it is and deal with it. So if there's anyone this morning that would like some prayer, I'd really encourage you to come forward. Let us pray for you. That was a, that was a good word. <laughs>